the Empire podcast this week. James Wan and Patrick Wilson scare us silly with The Conjuring 2. Beware the scary nun. <laughs> Plus, there's the usual news and nonsense on the Only Movie podcast that wishes to congratulate the gorgeous leggy blonde who just started dating a pop star. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. I'll be kicking ass this week while Chris is watching football in France. Uh, naturally, I'm taking the opportunity to quote Hamilton, or misquote Hamilton, as much as possible after it won 11 Tonys at Sunday's Theatre Awards show in mm. New York. And the website went live for you to register an interest in UK tickets for when it opens here in October 2017, people. Not long to wait. Incredible news. Uh, did you say Chris is at the football? Yeah, isn't he? Is he? I don't I know. I so. did not realise that Sokovia had qualified for the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> and there he is. Well, well, what about it? You've heard one already, but I'm joined this week by two colleagues of such lethal cunning who I will now introduce in the most Hamiltonian way possible. Uh, first up is the model of a modern website editor, the venerated half-Virginian veteran whose men are all lining up to put him on a pedestal, writing letters to r- relatives embellishing his elegance and eloquence. It's Phil DeSemlin. <laughs> Hi, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was George Washington's intro. Oh. But because you're half Virginian, like, I had to use it for you. Gotcha. Yeah. This is Hamilton, is it? It is Hamilton, yeah. I heard a rumour that the Hamilton musical is going to have to change its name when it comes over here. Because, you know, Neil and Christine Hamilton. Right. They've also got a play in the works, which they're calling Hamilton's. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. consequently, the Hamilton musical is going to have to call itself something different. Well, it, it has a subtitle. It's an, Hamilton, an American musical. So maybe, maybe they can just call work. it American musical. I made all of that up, by the way. Wow, well, obviously. <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, next, we have a man who's a diamond in the rough, a shiny piece of coal, trying to reach his goal, his power of speech, unimpeachable. Only 29, but his mind is older. It's John Nugent. Hello. Hello, that Hi. was Hamilton's own introduction. Right, okay, wow. But although he was 19, but, you know, close okay. enough. That explains why he walked over to John yesterday and was like, how old are you, John? I yeah. know. <laughs> was great. I was like, what? And why I checked that your family were literally from oh, Virginia, not yes. West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, that's, oh, uh, there we go. Gotcha. You see, I don't just throw this stuff just together. Deep background. I do, I do, I do throw this stuff together. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's time for a question. Let's take a question. Uh, Tim Iredale on Facebook asks us, hello, colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, I co-host a film show on local community radio and this evening my chum suggested we discuss the best and worst dads in film. What with it being Father's Day this weekend? That's a good question. He also gave me a very long list of uh, possible fathers to discuss um, but I'm not going to list those in case we do all the same ones so I'm, I'm, I don't want us to look like we're stealing all his ideas which we probably will. What, they were all, what are they? What no, they were, all, they were all good ideas but oh, I literally okay. deleted them so I wouldn't just read the list. Gotcha. Um, but he did include the right answer uh, which we will get to in a minute. But first, give me your answers. Well, the right answer, I yes. I'm assuming... I think is the right answer Darth Vader. For best dad or worst well, dad? Well, he's the best dad eventually, right? He, is he? He's, it's his, you know, selfless redemption that saves the Empire. Uh-huh. Or, you know, saves the galaxy. Right. Right. Fatherhood is a long and winding road. Exactly. I, I mean, sure, yeah. Parenthood uh-huh. is complex. I assume the right answer is Atticus Finch. The right answer uh, is Atticus go, Finch. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we need that a siren is correct. What's happened to our sound effect budget? <laughs> <laughs> we never had one. Darn. I would yeah. love Atticus Finch to be my dad. No offense to my actual dad, who's probably listening and may be offended by that, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's, he's amazing. Hold on a second. Yeah. There's another book. In which he becomes racist. Yeah, we're going to ignore oh, yeah. that. Oosh. We're talking I, I about that in, in the cinema. World. Yeah, we're, yeah, he's never been in, the, in cinema, and hopefully mm. never will be. He ends, quite frankly, no, it doesn't end. L- look, I mean, 
it's it's fairly clear if you read up on it that Harper Lee never wanted that book published. Yeah. Um, so I think we're okay, okay. in ignoring right, that book. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. But but yes, I mean certainly in in cinema terms, he is he is the main man. He's he's a good example. He's a good good um, carer. You know, he teaches the kids to be independent without sort of abandoning them to I don't know run off with the emperor. Um, so it just seems like a you know a, a pretty good dad to me. He inspires them. He does inspire them, which is an important quality. Yes, I think so. Um, Darth Vader also inspires people. Mm. So. They've got that in common. <laughs> Who else have you got, Phil? Well, on a similar sort of parabola from Darth Vader, mm-hmm. um, Steve Martin's character in Parenthood. Yeah, he's great. You know, has some has some wobbles. He and does. There's that famous scene where um, I don't know, is it famous? I suppose <laughs> it's fa- where, he's, where, the, where where he feels the roller coaster of Parenthood, doesn't he? Mm. When he's watching his son destroy his school play, and 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 the camera starts tilting, and he feels the, the nausea of like trying to be a good man and a good father and keep your family on the right path and deal with all the other things that life throws at you. Yeah. I think it's quite nice. And my favourite bit of that is when he when he rescues things, when Cowboy Gil doesn't turn up for the for mm-hmm. the party and he and he dons his cowboy gear as oh, Cowboy yeah. Dan. He is great as Cowboy Dan. And then actually. tells all the kids that he slaughtered Cowboy Gil <laughs> and it's been slipping and sliding in his guts. <laughs> <laughs> and they love it. And they love it. Um I, I that's a that's a favourite that's a favourite of mine. I think Steve Martin is great at playing a dad. Um, I remember watching Father of the Bride, yes. um, which is a similar Steve Martin freak out film. Um, and why I remember it most is I've actually I've had this a couple of times in the cinema and then at home on TV, uh, watching it with my parents. And my mum, when watching that film, literally like is crying with laughter, doubled up, crying with laughter, and casting these sort of sideway glances at my dad, who gets more and more paranoid as the film goes on mm-hmm. as to why she's laughing so much. Oh. Um, so there's just like a, a personal element to why that is... So um, not a good Father's Day movie for your household. <laughs> not Too much our, subtext. Not in our household, because dad just gets really paranoid <sighs> as a result. hes I don't think he's anything like that dad, actually, but... I don't know. My mum obviously does. What about Spencer Tracy in the original? Yes, he is good. I mean, he was he was good at playing the father card as well. I mean, also, who's coming to dinner? Yeah, I was going to say... Guess who's coming to guess dinner. Guess who's coming to not... Do you know, is he good? I mean, he's well, kind of prejudice. He is. It's an interesting film because it was seen as mega liberal in the 60s and you look at it now and you cringe like a lot. Yes. At a lot of what's going on. But now it seems to send up liberal hypocrisy much more perhaps than it did then. Yes, I think that's probably true. Um, but he's still Spencer Tracy. Yeah, exactly. And he and Catherine Hepburn are probably decent parents. I would they imagine do love. So. There's no l- lack of love, but there's some shonky attitudes maybe. Indeed. So who is, I, I realise this isn't the question, yeah. but I, I'm just going to go for it. Who who do you think is the best like actor to be a movie dad? Because I was thinking about this, J.K. Simmons has played some pretty good dads. Very much so, he's great in Juno. He's amazing in Juno. He was also in I Love You Man, he was uh, Andy Samberg and Paul Rudd's dad, is that right? Oh, that sounds familiar, yeah. Do you remember, he has that great scene where he's like, I have two best friends, and my son and... uh, the name of my best friend. <laughs> Who can forget? Who can forget? Such a memorable scene. Yes. What about, um, wait, you just reminded me of Ian McShane but in Hot Rod. Yeah. was not a good dad. Oh, but yeah. Hang on, doesn't that make him a terrible dad, given that you know, he, he's only best friends with one of his two sons? Yeah. 
yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe terrible dads are more entertaining. I, yeah, I think that's probably I, like, true. I think Royal Tenenbaum would be. Royal Tenenbaum. Yeah, he is. Come on. Well, actually, I mean, in the end, he kind of gets the job done, though. You know, he he actually helps them out when he comes back. I, so does Darth Vader. Here is a question that occurred to me recently, and I genuinely feel like this is an issue. I feel like okay, if if somebody were making a film about my dad, right, they would have to cast Tom Hanks. Right, that's the only possible casting, especially now that Gregory Peck is dead. That's the only possible mm. casting for my dad. Okay, but Tom Hanks has not played a lot of roles where his principal concern is being a father, mm. and that seems strange to me because that he seems like the ultimate movie dad. Interesting one. Interesting. He is like the father figure of cinema, isn't he? He is, you know, and but, I find it, it odd. Yeah, not to delve too deeply into the horror sexual <laughs> psycho landscape, <laughs> but would it not be better for everyone if Steve Martin played your dad? In the movie, I think I just I, there's just a, a Tom Hanksy vibe okay. that is my dad. Okay, fair right. Enough. Your mum won't be in charge of casting. No, my mum and and the, the the ages don't quite work out because because Jane Fonda is older than my mum, but Jane Fonda would be my mum. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me of Stanley Tucci, you know, in um, Easy A. Oh, he's with great the adopted. He's what turns to his adopted child and it's like, remind me where you're from again. <laughs> <laughs> he's also got that bit, great bit where the, the kid himself references being adopted. Yeah, and he goes, "Who told him we were going to wait for the right time?" Um, which <laughs> that, is funny because the kid is of a different race to his parents. <laughs> that, that that sort of neatly brings it back to Royal Tenenbaum actually, because he like, has a habit of just saying, "This is my adopted daughter, Margot." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whose middle name he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, funny dads. Are often terrible dads in movies, mm-hmm. but my favourite funny dad I think is the dad. Um, is he played by Michael Palin in in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where the son just wants to sing, and he's like, "Call that out, son! Look, I built this castle. They told me it couldn't be done, and it fell over and sank into the swamp. So I built it again. One day, he, all of this will be yours. Huge tracks of land. He doesn't want it. He just wants to sing. But no, call that out. <laughs> I don't want to marry her. I just want to sing." <laughs> no, she's got huge tracts of land. Um, he calls her Alice. He calls him Alice. It's Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of them know what the other's gender is. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so he's my favourite. But there's some great ones. I've got to mention, yeah. um, I think it, no one's Father's Day would be complete without a sitting with their father of Bicycle Thieves. Which is bound to cheer anyone up. I mean, oh, sure, I that's, that's, that's mm. as feel good as it gets. You couldn't well. remake that now in London, could you? The Boris Bicycle Thieves. There's just so many. <laughs> but in those days... In those days. It's quite a tragic movie, yeah, but yeah. beautiful. And mm. a beautiful uh, story about a father's devotion to his to his son. God, I had my bicycle stolen once. There was no hue and cry for me. There was no, you know, let's string him up by the... Well, did you turn the story into a neo-realist classic? That was my problem. I think it was it was in colour when I, my bike so, was stolen or whatever. It should have been black and white. Basic error. For, yeah. Basic error, John. Come on. Yeah. All right. A, a lot of people mention The Godfather at this point, and I've always thought that he was a pretty terrible dad, actually. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's fair. Who, Don Corleone? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I mean, Michael's also a pretty terrible dad, I, I feel yeah. fairly confident in saying. I well, think they're gangsters. I mean, they're, they're ethically dubious at the best of times, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think any father who raises two children, one of whom k- kills the other one, that, that, you, you see that as a failing of some sort. Two sons, rather. Um, I would suggest has something's gone wrong. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I mean, that's a hard line to draw, Phil, but... Yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, it's not like Nemo goes off and slaughters another 
clownfish, <laughs> leaving Marlon to, to wonder what you did Except wrong. Except in the much darker spin-off, of course, yes. Well, we'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks, won't we, when mm. Finding Dory comes out. Um, that, uh, we won't be talking about Nemo mur- callously murdering siblings, no, just no. to be clear. Well, we hope we'll not. We haven't seen the film yet. Um, I have to mention one, because none of us here is a father yet, um, but um, Dan Jolin is. Okay. Dan couldn't be with us today. Um, because he's probably well, it's press day. Remembering what he did with his children, um, <laughs> oh, yes, press day. Um, but he he wants us. He wants to throw in the dad from Donnie Darko, um, Holmes Osborne. <clears throat> Holmes Osborne, who plays Eddie Darko. Um, and his reason for that is because after Donnie calls his mum a bitch, she repeats this to him in bed, and he says, "You're bitching, but you're not a bitch." I put it out to him that this is actually more of a good son, good, good husband, good husband yeah. but he is also a good father throughout the film to his troubled son. Um, so that one's from Dan. All right. Thank you, Dan. Right. Well, if you want your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can reach us on podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter where we are Empire Magazine and the hashtag is Empire Podcast or we won't say it because we're so popular. Is there or, a phone number? Uh, there isn't a phone number unless you want to give your phone number. No. Okay. Uh, And you can get in touch with us, as Tim did, on Facebook, where we are once again Empire Magazine. All right. It's time to get on to movie news. Uh, What has been happening this week? In fact, let me interrupt you there before you've even started to speak. (laughs) Helen Mirren is joining Fast and Furious 8 on behalf of Helen's Everywhere. I feel like she is my avatar in this. As a huge fan of the franchise, she is now joining Fast and Furious 8. It's ridiculous news. I know. I'm very happy about this. I'm hugely, hugely happy about this. I'm a huge Helen Mirren fan. I don't know if anyone... (laughs) (laughs) Can we not go back there? I'm I'm a fan of her enormous acting talent, as well as her radiant beauty. Yes. Obviously, this is a franchise which will not stop until every member of the Hollywood acting community will be cast. Yes. But it's, it's great. Isn't it great? Aren't we happy? It's great. Apparently she's been lobbying for the role for a while. She has, yeah. She's said in the past that she'd love to do a Fast and Furious film, and that was probably last summer or so. And she talked... um, We did a big interview with her a couple of issues ago. I got to fly to New York and meet her for that, and she she is beautiful in real life, I can exclusively reveal. Um, But she was talking there about how much she loves doing action movies, and she said for her, you know, for all her early career... um, that was never the kind of thing that she got to do. She was on stage. She was in these very, you know, very respectable indie movies and very respectable dramas. And even in something like Excalibur, it's not like she got to go on a horse and wave a sword. And she loves all of that. She loves that activity stuff. And uh, and therefore was, was thrilled to be in something like Red or National mm. Treasure. And uh, is even more thrilled, I suspect, to be in something like uh, Fast and Furious, which takes action to a whole new ridiculous heights so um so yay for her frankly i really hope they she's not just in a sort of background role i hope they actually get her doing something actiony like i I wasn't a massive fan of red but one of the favorite bits of that film is where you see her operating a chain gun yeah you know there's something so beautiful about that image so let's hope she gets behind the wheel of some car i don't i don't know what the term is (laughs) slightly to be a car fast car is that is that what they call them? Uh, yes, Powerful I believe car. so. Hot, hot rods. Hot there's a, there's Dodge, another Dodge Charger. Dodge Charger. Dodge. Oh, specific model. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we know a lot about cars, as you can tell. If you're <laughs> wheels. Listening. They've got wheels, haven't they? I believe so. I uh, well, ideally, at least. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. So uh, so that's extremely good news for Helen Mirren and I think for all of us. Burning tyres. Burning tyres. Um, uh, in other film news this week, uh, two films, which are about as unlike as you can get, are getting spin-offs. So Sicario and The Conjuring 2. Now, Sicario, we've already had Soldado announced, I believe. Is that correct? That's how you say it. Soldado. Muy bien. Uh, and this one is... A N other spin-off, is that correct? That's correct. Do we you know what else? you're seeing here is the swift development of the SCU. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is taking everyone by surprise, but it seems like um, the idea is that they're going to make three anthology movies with some of the core actors and set in the same world. Yeah, it seems which to be the, the ma- world. It seems to be the male core actors, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's a surprise though, because you would have thought, who do you really want to see more of from the first film? It would be Emily Blunt's character, presumably, because the whole arc was about her and her kind of, you know, attempt to stay pure in this corrupt world. Um, but they've discarded her for... Um, Benicio del Toro. No, no, I was going to say, I'm pointing to you to repeat the title of the film, which I can't remotely oh, get Oh, Soldado. Soldado. <laughs> Every time I point to you from now on, you have okay. to say it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Benicio del Toro's character. We don't know what this third one's going to be yet, but it's the same world. It's more about immigration than drug dealing which seems to be a pretty zeitgeisty topic right now um so yeah that's one too i mean look the first film was really really good liked it a lot have no issues with the idea of them developing it further um looking forward to the second one which is called soldado so yeah that's the story and the second spin-off which you're gonna have to explain yeah is from the conjuring 2 so the conjuring 2 um I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, especially since we're about to talk about it in a few minutes, uh, to say that there is a demonic nun in oh. The Conjuring 2. Oh. Uh, it's a very scary figure. She, I mean, she appears for the first time about five minutes into the film, which I think is why it's okay to talk about yep. not being a spoiler. Um, but there is talk of a demonic nun spin-off. Because in fairness, like demonic nuns are pretty scary. Like, if you're going to have something scary, you know, certainly anyone who went to Catholic school, nuns are scary. Yeah. I mean, even Father Dougal is scared of them. And, Sister uh, Act 2 was pretty rough. <laughs> hey, I will hear nothing against Sister Act 2. Thank you very much. I would genuinely, I was thinking this when I was watching Conjuring 2, it's like I would love to see Whoopi Goldberg versus this nun. So I yes. would really actually like to see that happen. But I don't think, alas, that that's what they're planning. So it will be a film about a scary demon nun, um, in addition to the one that already exists about the scary demon doll. Yes, uh, Annabelle. Annabelle. Yes. Annabelle, right. So you've got two spin-offs. Yes. From the same... So this is the CCU. <laughs> CCU. So wow. is this going to lead to uh, Conjuring Assemble in about five years' time? And Where all, all of the, characters the demonic nuns and dolls and probably clowns in a minute team up. Gather together for the Avengers of Yes, terror. against Vera Farmiga and <laughs> Patrick Wilson. Gotcha. Can we call it the cuckoo? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Is it, where is it going to be set? This one. Do you uh, have an idea? Does Devi told Have they announced any of that? Well, the Conjuring Two was in Enfield, so maybe the yeah. next one's in uh, what, like, Arrow or yeah. East Wilsdon, <laughs> <laughs> North London suburbs. Uh, what we do know is that David Leslie Johnson, who co-wrote the Conjuring Two, is apparently on script duties for this one. Uh, James Wan will produce, but will hand over to another director, so he'll stay with the main um, Conjuring line yeah. I guess and then hand over to this um, and uh, and yeah we don't know much else apart from the fact that it will be called The Nun The Nun The Nun Not None Shall Pass The no. Nun It seems like there's still a sweet spot for Hollywood these kind of these kind of mid-range horrors making money 
Yeah. The kind of budget against box office payoff is pretty high. I would say so. And it's easy to make a franchise out of them. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this one in a minute, but, you know, spoiler, I think Conjuring 2 is pretty darn good. So, you know, it's it does have that kind of uh, air of quality, I guess, that helps launch spin-offs. So, so useful when trying to start, um, start a series. Um, speaking of quality, we have many more exciting pieces of news. We talked last week about Ocean's 8, which is the all-female spin-off sequel, whatever you want to call it, of Ocean's 11. Um, at that point, we knew about Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, which is pretty freaking exciting. Uh, the latest names rumoured to be in talks, Elizabeth Banks and Mindy Cowling. Uh, wow. This is a pretty dreamy team. I think we said last week, wouldn't it be great if Elizabeth Banks was in this film? And look, look what happened. So Obviously, who, who, Hollywood, once again, listening to the Empire podcast. Who do we want to wish for next? Helen Mirren. <laughs> oh, please. I think we did mention her last week, but Helen Mirren would be awesome. That would be so great. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that's shaping up pretty darn well so far. Um, still no word on, on Jennifer Lawrence, who was also rumoured to be a, a target for the director, Gary Rolls, who, of course, directed her in the first Hunger Games. But we shall we shall see as that goes forward. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, also in, in totally dreamy casts, but on TV, American Gods is shaping up pretty well. Now, this is the adaptation of the Neil Gaiman uh, book, which if you haven't read, you really should. Um, it's about a recently released prisoner who ends up on a bit of a road trip across America with a, a mysterious man called Mr. Wednesday. Uh, Mr. Wednesday will be played by Ian McShane. Um, they also have added Orlando Jones, who plays Mr. Nancy, um, who is another very important figure. You've got Gillian Anderson in there. You've got Crispin Glover. Um, this is going to be seriously good, I think. That's a pretty mm. hot cast. It's a pretty hot cast. That's not even all of it. Obviously, I haven't actually mentioned the main guy. It's Ricky Whittle as Shadow, who is the, the main figure at the, at the heart of the film, who's caught up in these uh, divine activities. Um, but it's uh, it's shaping up really, really excitingly there. So fingers crossed for that one. Oof. I've got some news. Bring it. Um, we have uh, this is this is uh, promotional news for Ooh. the Empire website. Yeah. Uh, Roland Emmerich is currently editing it. Hooray! So get in fast before it explodes. Um, he's going to be. We've got lots of juicy, interesting behind-the-scenes insights about all of his movies. Uh-huh. The galleries talk us through his uh, basically his film career through the medium of pictures from on set from films from way back in the days of um, Universal Soldier. Wow! There's a lovely uh, shot of him chatting to Dolph Lundgren. Um, smoking a cigarette and it turned out he said he was smoking four packs a day back then wow. um, he was a heavy smoker um, so there's some Roland Emmerich's uh, giving up tips in there <laughs> and um, we've also got lots and lots of stuff on his new film Independence Day Resurgence and some tidbits to some newsy bits on the Stargate sequel that's been boiling around well, hey. and and the you know where the Independence Day franchise goes from now on so check that out and um, back in movie news the Rolling Stones movie yes or a Rolling Stones a movie Rolling Stones I'm sure movie. there's many movies you could make it's about it's not about Altamont the uh, Hells Angels yep. uh, gig in San Francisco that was such a disaster it's about the making of Exile on Main Street um, it's called Exile on Main Street a season in hell with the Rolling Stones um, it's being directed by Andy Goddard who is I believe a Downton Abbey uh, hmm. alumnus and uh, it's going to cover you know Mick, Keith Charlie Ronnie and the gang Bill 
Um, the yeah, there's only one person left. <laughs> I just can't be bothered to say the last name. Um, the, the, you know, as they put the album together, and I imagine all that kind of interaction and, and, and drama. So it's if you've been hanging out for a Queen movie, we're struggling to provide that after talking about it for ages. But this Rolling Stones film does sound like it's coming together. Not least because Mick is obviously a filmmaker in his own right, isn't yeah. he? So if he wants to get something done. So this is a drama, not a documentary? It's a drama. Okay. It is a drama. So it'd be interesting to see who's cast in these roles. Yeah. um, And where it goes from here. But I imagine they're going to have to put a lot of money aside to be able to afford the rights to the music. Because we all know what the Rolling Stones can be like. Mm. Do do we? What what can they be like? Hugely expensive. Oh, okay, right. Um, Who are they going to get to play these people? Have you any ideas? Um, Helen Mirren. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, sure, she's, she's... She's versatile. She is versatile, there's no question about that. I mean, in Get On Up a couple of years ago, there was a young Mick Jagger, I'm just trying to remember who played him, wasn't it? Uh, Nick Eversham, Eversman. Eversman. Yeah, I remember him. Um, he, he looked wasn't the bad. part, he looked no. the part. Um, he wasn't bad. Maybe somebody like that. It Doesn't Mick have, an, have a son who acts? I think he's in vinyl. He is, you're right. So, you know. Could be him. A yeah. little bit of nepotism. This oh, might be the time for vinyl, it. Actually. Mm. Movie's best dad. We've just found the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who would play who would play Keith. I mean, you know, I guess you could say that, that Johnny Depp's already done it. Yeah. Um, but slightly older. Well, yeah, I think he's a good bit older than he should be at that era. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what year was Exile Main Street? That is a question for someone other than me. No, it's set in nine. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm I'm open to a new musical high behind the music sort of a story. Yeah. Is it? Hey, it's a really good album. Yeah, there's some really good songs. So if nothing else, it'll have a good soundtrack. And you can pretty much rely on those guys for a little bit of behind the scenes color. Yeah, like I feel like they're not the most workman-like band in the world. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. I think no. you'll find it's called a Bill Wire pick. <laughs> wow. Nice. Moving um, on, moving on. Moving really swiftly on. I have some news. Please tell me. I can't believe we've taken this long to get to some Marvel news. We have Marvel <gasps> news. Donald Glover yes. is joining the cast of Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, we don't know who he's playing yet, is that correct? We do not know who he's playing, but this obviously is huge news for the internet who mm. have been campaigning for Donald Glover to be Spider-Man. Yes, the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Yes, yes. yes. So to explain, Miles Morales um, is a character in the comics who, in an alternate universe, adopts the mantle of Spider-Man. He Mm -hmm. becomes Spider-Man. He's an African-American or biracial. I think he's African-American and Hispanic. And uh, so he takes on the role of Spider-Man after Peter Parker dies in this alternate universe. Uh, And there was a huge campaign, I think in about 2010, for Donald Glover to play Spider-Man when they were casting The Amazing Spider-Man. Obviously, Andrew Garfield became Spider-Man in that case, but now he's sort of appears to be close to Spider-Man. It's not... Yeah, so the rumours are that he will be Miles Morales and then perhaps later down the line he could adopt the Spider-Man role. Yeah, this is... Purely a rumor, though, just to be it's, clear. It's pure rumor, but it, it's it's a it's a good rumor. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, because apparently Miles Morales was created in response to this campaign. It, the The campaign predates Miles Morales. Um, well, the Donald Glover campaign specifically. Yeah, yeah. So the original campaign, they just wanted him to play Peter Parker, but change his race essentially. And one of the writers for Ultimate Spider-Man confirmed that yeah, he's partly inspired by Donald Glover, partly inspired by Barack Obama. 
and partly inspired just because they wanted to have a, a you know a non-white hero for a change and it's very exciting news whoever he plays he's a really good actor if you've ever seen community you'll know he has the sort of comedic timing a nuance that fits really well for the tone of the MCU and I really like him so yeah I love it's him it's good news I, it is good news whatever way it goes I don't know that it's it's a slam dunk for Miles Morales as much as I would like it to be um, because I mean they're casting pretty colourblind in this in this movie and I think anybody in the right age range it could be him and Miles Morales you would expect to be younger yes so I don't know that he's necessarily Miles however fingers crossed because that would be terrific so yeah I think I think he's supposed to be younger than Peter Parker he's supposed he is, to be yeah. like 14 or 15 yeah. and Donald Glover's 32 yeah so it's a bit bit off but but you never know they I mean the Marvel Universe has often taken liberties with the comics so true they could easily modify the character to fit the actor yeah well, fingers crossed anyway exciting casting for a film that is already looking pretty star-studded it really is considering it's not out for at least a year look forward to that there's one I want to talk about very quickly before we move on and that is Rising Stars now this is a J. Michael Straczynski comic um, that's kind of like X-Men meets the Midwich Cuckoos sort of a thing Um, and it is apparently headed to the big screen with Straczynski Straczynski himself working on a script and producing Um, this is very exciting because I freaking love this comic because it's kind of like if the X-Men had an actual dramatic arc that had a beginning a middle and a definitive end that is basically what you get with Rising Stars Um, and the idea is that a meteor hits a small town and all the children who are in utero at that moment in that town uh, are born with superpowers some of them take a while to develop and see what they actually are but all of the kids who were in utero at the time this meteor crashes and one who was being conceived at the exact moment of the crash uh, are born with superpowers so they grow up they're they're taken away from their parents they're put in a camp they grow up together um, and as they grow up it becomes apparent that if one of them dies the others become fractionally more more powerful and that causes some serious problems as they get into adulthood and some of them go completely insane and violent so it's really exciting because it's a finite group of superheroes they all know each other and it makes for a really interesting kind of dynamic Mm. and I think if they do it right on screen I personally would have done it as a limited TV series but hey uh, if they do it right on screen it could be absolutely amazing sounds like an interesting setup it is sounds a bit heroesy it is heroesy, but again, if it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and wasn't sort of dragged out over many more seasons than it should have been. So, uh, so yeah, no, no other news on that yet. No word on directors, cast, anything like that. But if that comes together, that could be really, really cool. Awesome, sounds good. Fast. All right, so I think that's it for movie news. Uh, one more very small bit. Bring it. Beverly Hills Cop Four. Yes. Apparently, is happening. Maybe. <laughs> Probably, well, perhaps. As, as long as you're definitive about it, John. <laughs> well, they've been talking about this this sequel since I think Beverly Hills Cop One. I don't know. Like it seems to have been going on for ages and ages. Uh, but they do, according to a report, they have found some directors, which is exciting news. Belgians, but they're not the Darden brothers. They are not the Darden brothers. Unfortunately, they decided to pass on this occasion. No, the directors are Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala, and they apparently won over Eddie Murphy, who decided he's not going to do this unless it's really worth doing. So he's Mm. not just doing it for the paycheck. He wants to have a really solid script, really solid directors. 
uh, and it seems like he's he's happy. So yeah, it, it will have Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley again. We won't have anyone recast. It will be old Axel Foley, I guess. Correct. And that's about all we know, really. But uh, reason to be optimistic, I all would right. say. So invest in banana futures on the basis that one <laughs> at least will be needed for the tailpipe, and then we'll be exactly. Is it? Is it? Do we want? more Beverly Hills Cop well we had this conversation in this very podcast not not too long ago about the TV show yeah and wondering what the point of that was um, I don't know I mean we've I got know. a Lethal Weapon TV show now we've got a Rush Hour yeah. TV show uh, it, it, there seems to be a MacGyver's lot of these MacGyver's back MacGyver's back that's no right no bad thing Lucas Airwolf, Till is please. that right? <laughs> yeah I don't know I watched Beverly Hills Cop on the weekend um, it's such a good movie yeah, I love is. it. I mean, there are things in it that probably you wouldn't have in it if you made it now, potentially. Sure. Um, but it's still hilarious, and it's just one of those things that just works because of the chemistry and the alchemy of something magical happening. I'm trying to get lightning back in the bottle. Mm, don't know. We'll mm. see. Well, it, I mean, it's it feels like Eddie Murphy's been kind of absent for a little while, so it would be good to see him back on form again. Yeah. All right, um, I think it's time to move on uh, to this week's guests. And in fact, we're lucky enough to have two guests. Uh, James Wan and Patrick Wilson have worked on blockbusters in their time, think Furious 7 and Watchmen, but they're working together on The Conjuring 2, which is Wilson's paranormal investigator and his wife, played by Vera Farmiga, headed to their most terrifying challenge yet, Enfield. Uh, so we sent Chris Hewitt along to interview them both because obviously he couldn't completely miss the podcast. That would be ridiculous. And here are the results. Spooky. <laughs> Delighted to be joined at the Empire Podcast by Patrick Wilson and James Wan. Hello, sirs. How are you? Uh, we're Hel- fa- we're fa- How are you, James? <laughs> I'm okay, Patrick. Thanks. <laughs> I was going to ask, have you met before? <laughs> <laughs> this is our first time. It's, uh, he seems like a p- pleasant guy. I have a strict rule that I never uh, have direct communication with the director. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he has to speak yes. to me through his people, and I speak to him <laughs> through <laughs> my <laughs> people. Yes. Well, Translate us, if you will. Absolutely. Never any eye contact. No eye contact? No. Eye contact, I, no. He knows if I stare into the lens, that <laughs> means you. He's, uh, yeah, if, if, if he... <laughs> he blinks the light. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's right. On the camera. I uh, know. Two yeah. blinks is, that was good. Three blinks is, you need to do that <laughs> take over. We're going to do that take again. <laughs> You're not conveying enough sort of fear. In, yes. Right. That is a revolutionary uh, system. Uh, James, where are you during this? Are you in your battle bus? Do you Because obviously you, you don't want to interact with your actors at all I'm, I'm, I'm just no. guessing you no the, the less interaction I can have the better it is he sits uh, that's in why his I trailer. like working with Patrick that's right because <laughs> usually he's on the other side of the room and uh, and I do my thing he does he has thing. a pop-up trailer that's three levels <laughs> and he just stays in there <laughs> yeah I wish <laughs> amazing so I mean you guys have worked together now four times <laughs> this is your fourth oh, time <laughs> you, I mean, you make that sound like a prison sentence you've been locked <laughs> away for four years four <laughs> yeah, times yeah four times Solitary confinement. Two insidious, (laughs) two countries. Uh, Which makes you, by my reckoning, the kind of, the new... Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell or the new Kurt Russell and John <laughs> Carpenter oh there you go the, yeah that's there a better one for you Patrick, Patrick. Yes. 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 <laughs> no offense to Sam Sam's awesome yes. Bruce is awesome you kidding me I love Bruce yeah Bruce is awesome <laughs> no Kurt um, yeah Kurt. Patrick likes it better when I equate it to uh, Ron Howard and Clint Howard <laughs> <laughs> Come on, who doesn't there's, love Clint Howard? I love that guy. Love there's no Clint greater Howard. compliment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which which one's which, by the way? <laughs> who's Ron? Who's uh, Clint? Uh, I don't know. I don't know which one's cooler. Yeah. <laughs> it's toss up. Um, was it love at first sight between the two? <laughs> <sighs> no, not really. Met on okay. the phone. 
actually we, do, i remember the first time we spoke actually that's right that's what uh for insidious yeah um because i i remember this is true i remember reading the script of insidious and the first we were halfway through I was halfway through, and as, which, uh, if you've seen the film, mm. I, I haven't really done anything by that point. Like until you know, what I mean? he's not super active, which I thought was great. Yeah. I love the. I, <laughs> Patrick likes to do as little as possible. <laughs> this is fantastic. I don't have to do squat. squat you know, yeah. I, I love this. Rosebud gets you all that heavy lifting. I'm just gonna sit back. No, and, uh, <laughs> no but I thought. Wait a second. They move uh-huh. like nobody ever does that in a horror movie, uh-huh. and uh, and I haven't even gotten to sort of what his secret was. You know, that he was he was able to, we didn't need to talk about Insidious, but my point was, after I was about halfway through, it's true, and I called my, my agent, and I said, I, w- I want to do this. And, I, and then it was the, well, you know, it's like shot in like four days, and there's no money. I said, I don't care. I don't care. I know it's going to be cool. And then uh, I just said, I really love it. I want to talk to James. And I talked wow. to him, and he was so enthusiastic and, and just knew exactly what he wanted to do, and I thought, this is going to be very cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, when it, The Conjuring came up. At what point? Uh, the Conjuring came up. Were we still finishing the first Insidious, Insidious two? We no, we hadn't been. We hadn't. Oh, dis- that's right. Remember that was the discussion. Right. That was, it was like, discussion. do you want to do Conjuring? Like, are we doing another Insidious? Insidious yeah. If we do, are you still? Do, would you still do this? <laughs> Is this little? That's right. We were kind of, What do I want to tell you? What am I going to tell you? <laughs> if you do it, what I do? It's like a chess maneuvering piece. Uh, you go first. No, you go first. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. No. We. Uh, I mean, Patrick. I, I mean, I, I love working with Patrick, and especially after that first Insidious. It's such a great time um, working with him. And so naturally when um, the country came around for me, I mean, I've, I've known about, you know, the, the life story of Anne and Lorraine Warren for a long time. Mm. It's, uh, it's kind of hard to know who these people are if you're sort of fascinated by the sort of paranormal world. Yeah. And so I've been tracking their sort of their life rights for a long time. And it was all over the place. Like everyone thought yeah. they had it and then no one really knew where it was. It was just a whole legal mess. Mm. And, uh, but finally it landed at New Line Warner Brothers. And, um, and so I, I went in there. I, I pitched them my vision. I said, you know, I love this world. And, and, and fortunately they, they had just seen um, in cities and they love right. insidious and so that was an easy one for me to sell yeah, right. myself on and uh and so when it came time to cast the movie we we're like all right so who should play ed warren i was like wow well, i've got an I, idea i've got an idea <laughs> i've worked with this guy before but uh but you know but I, I, at first i was like i don't know if patrick would be interested in it because we had uh-huh. made something kind of similar but uh but i remember thinking well maybe i need to sell it to him <laughs> from a very different world i need to sell it to him you know in in Insidious, you're kind of more like the victim, so, but uh, but in this one, you're no longer that. You're you're the investigator, right? Mm. And uh, but more importantly, you get to play this super cool real life character. And uh, and I think from an acting standpoint, there's a lot to draw from. And there's yeah. a, it's, it's such a great real life character, whether or not you believe in their world. Right. It's like for an acting for an actor's standpoint, I just felt mm. like there was a lot that you could possibly sink your teeth into. Right. And that was Which how I true. Kind of, Sold it to yeah. Patrick. It was true. I, I mean, said you're full of crap. But <laughs> full of crap. I'm not, I'm not doing this unless you pay me a lot of money. And I say, like, all right. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> Stealing pens in uh, <laughs> yeah. Rosewood yeah. Hotel. Yeah, lots yeah. of pens. Just, just take them. They're solid silver, I believe, as well. So they're, they're quite yeah, expensive. They they're nice. quite expensive. You they're can get nice. a lot for those in the open market. I'm melt them down and make a nice, <laughs> nice goblet. I don't think they're real silver, Patrick. What? Yes. Yeah, a lot uh, more expensive. Put them back. <laughs> but was it important for you, uh, Patrick, to uh, make sure that you know uh, Ed Warren, obviously a real person, and and Josh from Insidious are two very different characters? I mean, especially what Josh goes through. Oh Insidious yeah. Too. No, it's. I mean, outside of them being both our 
films and they look a lot like you. <laughs> we do talk similar. Um, <laughs> no, I, it's completely they're completely different movies. Completely different. Yeah. I mean, completely different even within the genre. And that's yes. no disrespect to uh, Insidious, which I loved doing. But mm. it's this is a much different uh, different beast. And also, yes, from the acting perspective, when you're playing someone real. Uh, when there's so much to draw from, um, that's exciting. That's exciting, mm-hmm. you know, to go back and listen to the tapes and for this, listen to the, the his Enfield tapes and yeah. Um, yeah, see the videos, see online, see what you can find. You know, that's a that's a luxury, and and obviously you you don't want to keep retreading the same ground. So mm-hmm. there's when you're playing somebody that's real, not that you can't do it with with a fictional character but when you're playing someone that's real you always feel like okay what else can i do what else can i find with him and that's what we want to do with yeah. this one is really push the characters and luckily you've got a guy that even within the genre uh not uh, more important i think than than just navigating the scares and how terrifying a movie is understanding character and um and relationships and even in this sense uh romance and mm. humor and i yeah. think that's vital to these guys mm. and um so that's something we can constantly mind and I, you can't really talk have this conversation without talking about vera and how one an mm. unbelievable actress she is but two we all just get along so well yeah. and so we, we mm. all want to push ourselves and i think that's what kind of keeps you coming back because nobody wants to do the same thing mm-hmm. absolutely there's an there's an amazing sequence my favorite sequence in the film is the um tight close-up on ed during the the interview with 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 janet which turns into the interview with bill oh and that's, right. that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yes, that's yeah. a single shot, one shot one take for the entire scene yes can you talk about that that decision because it, um, it, you know in a horror film that is uh, such a, a rare thing to, to have. yeah i think uh, i think after fast and furious 7 i wanted to be you know, hold my shot for more than two seconds uh, um, no the, the, you know seriously in, in all honesty um actually um um you know Making F seven really did kind of made me long for the more sort of uh, more sort of slower, you know, more, more sort of controlled style of filmmaking, uh, and that's why you know it, it made me really appreciate what I've done in the past. Right. And and so and so with that particular scene, you know, I knew. Um, you know, like, you know, I'm always, again, like Patrick said, you know, we're always trying to find new ways to kind of like top ourselves and to kind of push ourselves more. And I was like, okay, so this is an interview, but how can I make it different to the other interviews that we had previously seen in yeah. the movie already? And uh, and so, um, so I started figuring out it would be really cool if we start the scene watching Janet in the background. You know, she drinks the water, she holds the water. Mm-hmm. We wreck focus to Patrick, who's in the foreground, and we're just hauling him the whole time. And he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's doing this interview with, uh, with, with the young girl who slowly, you know, out of focus in the background, you're not quite sure or not whether or not, is that still the young girl now or is that someone else? Yeah. But without cheating, cutting away, that was what was fun and exciting for me, yeah. right, to show something different. And I, I remember uh, when we were... Uh, um, leading up to shooting that scene, I, I told Patrick, I'm like, well, Patrick, this is actually a very long scene, so uh, and we're not cutting. <laughs> so it's going to be tough, you know, just trying to remember those. Uh, he's got so much lines yeah, in yeah. that scene alone. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I, I hate to put this on you, but I would love for you to... Uh, We'd like to do all... Seven pages. <laughs> Seven pages, yeah, exactly, in one shot, right? And uh, and I think, you know, and Patrick, again, you know, testament to how awesome he is, you know, he's like, yeah, I love it, let's do it, let's do it this way, and let's not cheat, let's not cut away, yeah, and, uh, and just shoot it like that. And, you know, at the end of the sequence, you know, um, Patrick's character turns back to look at the little girl, we rack back focus to... To, to her and then you know and she spits out the water that was mm. in her mouth the whole time mm-hmm. it's just cool I just I, cool. I enjoyed it yeah. it's very cool are there plans to work together for a fifth time <laughs> 
Well, we will at some point. We have to. <laughs> I'm sure if I run out of ideas, I'm like, oh, what about Patrick Wilson? <laughs> Of course. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we'll find something. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there seems to be there seems to be much many more cases that the uh, the warrants uh, covered over their over their years yes. together. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, but there, there's definitely more you know future stories if mm-hmm. uh, if we get the opportunity to go down okay. that path yeah. again. If we if if people go see this one and, <laughs> yeah. and it calls for will. it, certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, there's. It would be nice to do another Conjuring. I've got an idea for your fifth film. Hit me. Okay, so James, I don't know if you you know this, but you're doing Aquaman next. Uh, apparently, apparently, so, everyone keeps telling me that, so <laughs> I, I must be. And uh, Patrick, you you foist the president of the United States of America in Batman. I, v I Superman. did. I did. So all I'm Does saying he swim? is, <laughs> Does he swim? Does he swim? Listen, you cannot go swimming 30 minutes before you, after you've eaten. That's so. true. That's true. So uh, that's, that's true. important. Um, that's true. So in Aquaman, you would get Patrick in just to tell the audience not to go swimming now 30 minutes after you've that's eaten. That's true. A voice from the president. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Have you thought about expanding that character? I mean, you should, you should appear on screen. Have I thought yeah. about expanding? Yeah. It's not really my decision. It should be your decision. should be your decision. I love that you think I have that much power. Yeah. Patrick, I got news have for you. you. Uh, Actors, cognitive in the wheel my friend we are a cog in the wheel all right uh, james have you thought about expanding his character that's, that's, uh, i want to see the president my character I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've thought about expanding uh many of patrick's characters <laughs> uh, no i mean obviously you know it'd be a dream to uh to to work with patrick again mm-hmm. on something and uh i'm sure something cool will come along all right two blinks yeah. for yes three blinks for no that's, <laughs> that's the way to go. all right guys it's been a pleasure patrick, thank, you. Thank, thank you so much thank yeah. you now, you've seen The Conjuring 2. Yes. The Enfield Spookaloo. Yeah, I believe you missed it because the budget wasn't low enough, Phil. So. I, my Oyster card couldn't get me. I've only got Zone 2. Um, <laughs> so what did you think? Um, do you know what? Okay, first of all, a bit of a disclaimer. I'm a giant wuss, right? So horror movies in general are likely to scare me. This one, however, is really genuinely very scary. I think James Wan is uh, a really gifted horror movie director. He goes for a lot of the classic slow build scares here not just relying on jump scares there's a lot of long slow panning shots through this incredibly creepy house which I couldn't help looking at sorry you know divergence here for a second but as someone who lives in London I couldn't help looking at it and thinking my god that's a million pound house (laughs) and they're meant to be on their uppers and you know on their last legs and you know fair enough it's flooded and peeling and damp and everything but it would be worth so much money now anyway um so this family are living in this house and they are plagued by... Phil and Kirsty <laughs> from, from lo- location, location, <laughs> location. Uh, even worse, if that is possible to imagine. Even worse. They're plagued by scary ghosts uh, who make things move around. Um, and it seems to be an old man who died in the house years before. So uh, this family, uh, led by uh, Frances O'Connor, uh, her character Peggy, um, the daughter is... Janet, who's played by Madison Wolf, who's very, very good um, as a young actress. Um, and she basically is the focus of the hunting. And so basically they try and get the other kids out of the way of some of the worst of what's going on. In the meantime, we come back to the Warrens. They're the psychic investigators that we met in The Conjuring, of course. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. And Lorraine is having very disturbing visions of her husband, Ed, dying. And she wants them to kind of step back from this whole 
you know, battling with ghosts thing for a minute because she's having she's having such scary visions of spoiler a creepy nun. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It's uh, there in the in the very Sister beginning. Act two. Sister Act Two. Sister Act Two. So um, so she wants them to step back. So they they very reluctantly agree to go and investigate this house in Enfield because they hear about this family in trouble. But they don't. But her position is: we're just going to look, we're going to observe, and then we're going to get out, and we're going to get let somebody else do the exorcism this time. We're just going to go and and check it out. Um, and but they get there, and it's not that simple. Things are not that clear cut, and they end up getting embroiled in the scariness, and it is scary. So, you know, uh, we gave this four stars, and I would be inclined to agree with that because you know, really good performances, very scary, scary bits, and I think it's interesting that The Conjuring has heroes which you don't often see in a horror movie you see survivors you see victims but i find it interesting that the warrens are i mean really cast in this one as as heroes uh, battling ghosts and i think that's kind of i don't know it's, it's unusual it seems to me yeah it's interesting that you often have two films about the same subject coming out in close succession true yeah. here you've got a tv show yeah sky's the enfield haunting with timothy spall with timothy spall i'm um, playing a sort of warren warren's role isn't he yeah um and matthew mcfadgen which was very good and then this one following up a little bit later mm. um it, I, i'm a massive scaredy cat too is this scarier than the first one i was quite scared in the first one but i felt it could have been a bit scarier i think it's probably hmm, it's hard to remember i think it's probably on a level Ish. That's that's the one criticism that I was hearing from other people is that the the films are maybe too sort of similar in in their structure and in the way that they're put together. Um, I didn't really feel that way. I just felt separately scared by this one. It is quite um, long for a horror movie. It's two hours, and I tend to feel like horror is a bit like comedy, and it should be about ninety minutes. Uh, but maybe that's because I'm a scaredy cat. I don't know. Is there a bit where the Warrens arrive at Heathrow and have to sort of explain <laughs> why they're coming to England? No, and I think that's actually a shame. And that the would immigration be awesome. guy's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we've got one. Um, that doesn't happen. No. Damn, deleted scene perhaps. Deleted scene, we can only hope for the DVD. Um, but it is kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, 1970s London. For some reason, whenever anyone mentions this film, I always think of Rent-A-Ghost. I don't know why. It's a little bit like Rent-A-Ghost. There's just, there's little echoes in there. Uh, there are echoes of definitely other films. I mean, James Wan is a huge horror nut and you can see there's a few specific references. There's also some, I thought, quite unsubtle set dressing. There's a particular thing that they have to look for towards the end of the film. I'm not going to say what. And it has been foreshadowed really heavily earlier on to the point where I spotted it and I never spot anything. So... Yeah, there's there's a couple of quite heavy-handed bits, but but generally speaking, this is this is subtle-ish and scary. Definitely horror. Four stars. Now, Tale of Tales is also out this Ooh. week, and I know this is this is straight up your alley, Phil. Straight up my alley. I mean, um, in a non-rude way. <laughs> no, obviously. <laughs> what could you mean, um, Matteo Garoni's film? Uh, did you see? Did you see uh, Gamora? Yes. Gamora, it's good, isn't it? It's great. It's really good. Um, Gamora is a great uh, crime thriller. Um, since then, um, uh, Garoni's made a film called Reality, which is sort of, I guess, the closest thing you'd have to an Italian um, ed TV, sort of a, a kind <laughs> of a satire on reality TV shows. And this could not be any further away mm. from that. I guess, like, I think Selma Hayek refuted it in the interview, but I would say that it reminded me of sort of if Terry Gilliam made The Princess Bride it's got that kind of element of weird fantasia and mm. slightly kind of off 
offbeat, off-beam quirkiness to it. It's it's a little bit sort of the Company of Wolves, the Neil Jordan. Yeah, similar in a way. Like it's, it's it's no, but I mean it's based on a real fairy tale. I think the reason why I'm grasping for another parallel is because I don't think many of us um, would have would have come across the person whose whose work it's based on. Unlike the Grimm Brothers or Hans Christian Andersen, um, a, a, a Naples-based 16th century fairy tale writer, Giambattista Basile. Um, is the kind of origin of this. And it's three stories mm-hmm. from a, a big sort of compendium of fairy tales that he wrote. Um, so it's a, it's what you, I guess you call it a sort of portmanteau f- mm. film in, in, the, in the sense that you've got one director but three unrelated threads set loosely in the same kind of world. It's a kind of a 17th century kingdoms um and they've got you've got Selma Hayek playing a queen who's desperate to have a child the only way she can have a child is if her her husband a king John C Riley slaughters a sea monster and 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 she eats its heart so you you may have seen an image of Selma Hayek getting we talked about it in the interview yeah. getting getting face down in this massive sea monster heart and just ripping chunks of flesh out of it and eating them so now, she can is, become fertile and have a child now is that available on the NHS um, well we did say that you know did they not have IVF back then but um, I mean it is kind of I guess the stories were and are quite modern in that way I mean it may sound glib but mm. in each of these threads there are things that relate very much to life now you know having children um, you know the the the, the the power, the corruption of power, um, stuff that we kind of think about quite a lot in society. So it's pertinent to to life now, definitely. And he's talked about that in his interviews, Caroni. So it's a very lush, opulent fairy tale. Um, we, some people have really, really loved it. It played really well at Cannes last year. Um, we've gone three stars. Mm-hmm. Visually, you could you could make a case for being more effusive about it, especially on the big screen where okay. it really comes alive. And uh, it's got some great performances, especially Toby Jones, who plays another king, who's a, a terrible movie father, um, who raises a giant flea, uh, neglecting his young daughter in the process, who ends up being sort of seduced by an ogre. Um, so he really is probably a late a arrival in the worst movie dad <laughs> ever. Um, but Toby Jones is so good at this kind of thing. He really is a fantastic sort of comic um, actor, sort of tiptoeing between comic and, and 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 having the pathos as well of the role and the and the and the world and so yeah it's very well acted uh, Vincent Cassel also appears as Good. another one of these slightly feckless monarchs and um, it's a really kind of rich experience um, the three parts don't necessarily cohere which makes it a little frustrating at times. They don't come together at the end. And uh, that's probably why we've been a little middling on it. But certainly Three Stars is, as they say, what do they say? It's a, a film you should see. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a recommendation. So there you go. Three Stars for Tale of Tales. Awesome. Um, and finally, on a slightly less happy note, Gods of Egypt. I, I actually don't feel entirely like stomping. I think I feel like there's a good idea somewhere in here mm. that got completely horribly lost so this is an Alex Proyas film and uh, it is the story of uh, it's kind of taken from spun from Egyptian mythology uh, the tale of Horus the son of Osiris who's play, um, Horus here played by Nicholas Coster Waldau uh, and his uncle Set who's played by Jared Butler and Jared Butler's Set uh, usurps the throne blinds Horus 
and sends him sort of off into exile. Uh, and its horses kind of uh, fight back to freedom with the help of a human thief played by Brenton Thwaites, who wants to rescue his, his girlfriend from essentially death. So here's what I thought was good... I really like the crazy bits of Egyptian mythology. I really love... There, there is a scene where they literally go up to Ra, who's on his sort of chariot pulling the sun around the earth and who every night has to fight off a monster who wants to eat the world. Now, that that's proper. It's weird. It's completely bonkers. It makes no sense in this kind of movie. And I loved it. Uh you know, you go into the underworld and they literally have Anubis there with the scales weighing up who's allowed into the afterlife and how. And I love that. Um, the problem is kind of every single time it tries to be an action movie because I just hated it. <laughs> and it keeps trying to be an action movie every five minutes. There are so many action scenes in this and it just it gets wearisome. Um and there's also just too much going on. The design is just overwhelming. There's times where you're just like, can you just sit on a rock and let me look at your costume? But if you've got this amazing costume and it's sitting in an amazing room with an amazing CG environment all around it, it's just like, oh my God, I feel a bit sick now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is this is Alex Proyas. He has done good films in the past. Mm. He did The Crow, of course, which is excellent. He did iRobot, which I enjoyed. My brother, that was his uh, favourite film for a brief time. He's got a strange taste in films. Interesting, but yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's it's an overwhelming amount of CGI. So much um, CG, yeah. It's all, you almost forget what real things look like yeah. after a while. And they it, did actually go to a desert. Like that's the thing. It isn't all <laughs> this? Isn't three hundred? It wasn't all a shot on green screen, but it feels like it was. Yeah, and it, but it, but it's not. There's nothing wrong with having lots of CGI, and this just looks all glossy and kind of tacky. You know, in in the Empire Review, Ollie Richards, he said, um, he compared it a bit to Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton has a famous line where she goes, it costs me a lot of money to look this cheap. And (laughs) it's true. It cost $140 million to make this film, and it looks like they put it together on some cheap laptop somewhere. It just looks odd. It looks very odd. Speaking of odd looking, it is also, I mean, let's deal with the elephant in the room. It is appalling that there is not one Egyptian member of this cast. It is pretty appalling that they are almost all white Europeans playing Egyptian gods um, with the exception of Chadwick Boseman who is not good in this film I'm afraid to say I mean there's there's a couple of good people Elodie Young who we know from Daredevil as Electra is is very good as Hathor the goddess of love but just overall it's just a mess it's a mess and I mean these people should never have been cast and if they were cast they should have been better directed and they should have been better directed in a better story honestly if you'd lost like 50% of the action scenes saved 50% of the budget and just gotten more into Egypt I think this would have been a really really something to see and and I think it's a it's a bit of a shame but we gave it one star whoa <laughs> which is pretty damning but you know I, I I feel like there's there's some stuff in there that's definitely worth watching on a plane you're a lover not a hater I am I try to be man so but anyway that is it for this week's Empire Podcast join us next week for more film related fun when we will be joined by the man the myth the legend that is Jeff Goldblum oh my god yeah talking about Independence Day resurgence and alien invasion and on that note it is goodbye from John goodbye it is goodbye from Phil Soldado <laughs> Soldado and it's goodbye from me I am off to go back to the room where it happens that's a Hamilton reference. 
just going to trust me. Okay. <laughs> you really should listen to it, you know. 